welcome to the Nittany Blues Podcast. By Penn State fans, for Penn State fans. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Vince. What's up, Penn State fans? Welcome back to the Nittany Blues Podcast. We are back for another episode. We are gearing up for the 2023 Penn State football season. There's going to be a lot to talk about here in the upcoming weeks. We got a couple of notes about West Virginia in this episode. West Virginia, of course, being Penn State's first opponent of the 2023 season. Kind of a rivalry renewed situation going on, so a lot of excitement there. But before we get into that, Vince, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I just had a nice club ride with my buddies and uh, my body is finally feeling good after uh, the the Ironman. I feel like I finally recovered and I'm feeling back to my normal self. So that's always good and always happy to be on here on the pod and uh, talk some Penn State football. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it seems like we've got a lot more to talk about this week than we initially thought that we would. Uh, Little tiny news bits and articles and updates uh, coming out of every nook and cranny. So um, I don't really have a preference. Where do you want to start? I think we got to start off with the, uh, the commentators of Penn state football this upcoming season. Unfortunately, uh, Penn state did not fulfill our request. We are not going to be announcing Penn state's home football games. So, uh, you know, devastated of course, but, uh, definitely have some really highly qualified candidates. We got, uh, Joe Putnam and Rodney Martin. Uh, they're going to be doing uh, play by play. And, uh, you know, general announcements, uh, Andrew, what are your thoughts on the hirings and how do you think they will fit in as we transition to a new commentator, uh, in Beaver stadium? Yeah. I mean, I think these were solid choices. I really just wanted them to stay within Penn state and I kind of expected them to do so. I've actually heard a couple of Rodney's calls, um, in the past. So I think that he's going to be, uh, you know, excellent for Penn state football, um, you know, I think it's just going to be all about kind of the cadence and the tone, uh, for those, you know, those drives down the field, those big calls, like when the touchdowns are scored and stuff like that, that's really going to be kind of the, I don't want to say like make or break, but that's going to be the thing that sets the tone for the PA for like the rest of the season, I feel, because fans are going to want to know kind of what to expect and stuff like that. So, uh, definitely some big shoes to fill with, uh, Dean DeVore no longer, um, being with the Penn State football team to call those plays and announce the ball carriers and everything in between. But uh, I think that Penn State got it right here. Yeah, uh, definitely good to hire someone within the program, someone who you know knows, knows the pride and excellence uh, in Penn State football. So I think they'll, they'll understand the expectations and you know do an, an outstanding job. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Uh, Let's talk uh, some more Penn State football here. So I have a note here. Um, basically, the only introduction that we need here is that the strength and conditioning program at Penn State just continues to be elite. We've heard time and time again about how Penn State just churns out hulks of players after they've had one or two seasons in the weight room um, with Penn State. Uh, there was that famous um, NFL draft combine in uh 
I guess what what that have been um, 2017 um, after Penn State made their Big Ten championship run and Penn State had something like seven players at the combine and almost all of them shined. So, you know, Penn State just notoriously has a very good program and that is certainly continuing. Uh, we had a couple of social media worthy moments um, out of the weight room uh, over the past week with um, defensive tackle out of South Africa, Jordan Vandenberg, setting the program squat record. Uh, this guy squatted 615 pounds four times. And my mind just breaks even beginning to think about lifting that much weight, regardless of how I put it up in the air. Like, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely insane. Like, that is pretty much four times my body weight. So, like... Let's just throw this guy in at fullback, give him the football. Like it'll, it'll take like at least two defensive linemen to bring him down. Like, yeah, that is some really impressive place or, you know, you know, strength right there. And, you know, unbelievable how easy he makes it look in the video. He probably has some kind of rugby background too, being from South Africa. Like, I'm sure he's touched a rugby pitch at least. So give him the rock, see what he can do. Yeah, I think that would be a a fun little addition to the wing T offense. Throw Vandenberg in there and have him be a lead blocker. Like just move people out of the way. Like I think I think that'd be a a great play. It would be like uh, Michigan State back in like 2015 when they handed the ball off to their center uh, for a touchdown (laughs) for just like one of the most disrespectful scores ever. But but I digress. So another guy uh, making some headlines is our guy Nick Singleton. You know, not only is he getting it done on the football field, he's going to get done um, off the field and also, of course, in the weight room. And uh, strength and conditioning coach Chuck Losey uh, was so impressed by Nick Singleton's recent power clean attempt at 385 that he posted it on Twitter. Um, very reminiscent of Saquon. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, this is like very close to Saquon weight. Um, when Saquon was, uh, kind of really hitting a stride as a monster in the Penn State weight room. So, um, just more reasons for, for us to be excited. I mean, it seems like that extra, um, weight that he put on is, uh, going to good use. Yeah. And he still looks very explosive. Like, he, oh, yeah. he still looks like he has that 4 3 speed and, just being able to have that strength, that's how you get to to the next level because you gotta have that muscle to absorb all the hits, you know, especially if you're you're a bell cow, you know, back. So mm-hmm. if you're getting a lot of carries, you gotta be able to absorb the hits. And you know, really impressive when you have uh Saquon Barkley, you know, coming out and uh giving you some kudos on social media. He left a little comment uh on there with some emojis. So, you know, definitely, you know, catching when you catch the attention of Saquon Barkley. You're doing um, something right. You're doing something right. And well, this is a little, uh, I don't know, a little tangent uh, uh, here. But uh, how shocked are you that the New York football giants have been unable to come to terms with Saquon Barkley, uh, debatably the best running back in the NFL, in my opinion, to a uh, long-term contract? Like, how surprised are you that that hasn't got done while we're talking about Saquon Barkley? Not surprised at all. Um, you know, I think that NFL executives just across the league um, have a general lack of appreciation for uh, top tier running backs. And it's like I get the whole, you know, do you need um, a top tier running back to win a championship, um, you know, debate? I can understand both sides. But 
um, there are guys out there who play the same position who are, you know, getting paid a lot of money to play this position. And there's guys who do a very similar job uh, just in terms of their output and they're not getting paid. And Saquon is being one of them. And so, you know, it's a league wide thing, but also the Giants are just completely inept as an organization in several ways. Um, so, you know, I'm not shocked at all that this is uh, happening with him. It's really unfortunate because, I mean, all that guy wants to do ever since he got injured in his uh, second season, all he wants to do is get back to that peak form. Yeah, I think the injuries, you know, might have an issue coming back to him not getting paid the amount of money that he does he does want. But I, I definitely don't blame him for, you know, not playing under the franchise tag because if he gets an injury, you know, teams might want to stay away from him. And, you know, having that guaranteed money over a long period of time is really important. So the average person might look at him declining ten point nine million dollars. But uh on the other hand, like he's missing out on potentially a, a lot more money. So uh, definitely don't blame him. Uh, I do agree the the way the NFL is going now, they're kind of looking at analytics and running backs and most of the teams in the Super Bowl uh, over the you know past couple of decades, they have had maybe like $2 million invested in the running back position. So when you mm-hmm. have a player of that caliber and you're paying him you know $12 million, uh, it makes it difficult to strengthen other areas of the roster that the analytics show do have success. So, so mm-hmm. defensive line, offensive line, quarterback, wide receiver, uh, those big time money positions. So um, I think Saquon's kind of maybe an exception to the role, kind of him and Derrick Henry where they're special talents and you, those are guys that are just really hard to bring down. And, and like uh, Christian McCaffrey. So you like want guys who are just so multi-talented can, impact the game in more ways than just run this direction, carry the ball and rinse. Exactly. So I do think a kind of a caveat for that too, is you need to be able to be a threat out of the backfield in the air too. So, which he Mm -hmm. is, uh, so we, I mean, he's he's not like Debo Samuel, but he can kind of run and, and all, and also be a receiving threat like Debo. So I think he should kind of, you know, be up there amongst the top, and I think he should be paid like a Derrick Henry. So, you know, we'll see if he gets done. Uh, as an Eagles fan, I'm not going to be too upset if I don't have to see Saquon <laughs> yeah. Barkley right. <laughs> tearing up our defense. So that's not going to be a huge concern to me. But, uh, you know, my Penn State homerism does want Saquon to get paid. Uh, if, it, yeah, if it's at a different And if it's at a different location, uh, great. I would love to not face Saquon Barkley twice a year in the NFL. (laughs) Yeah, no, great point. And just to go a little bit deeper down the rabbit hole too, I think um, something that uh, Derrick Henry said was actually kind of interesting where he just kind of made the blanket statement of just get rid of the running back position altogether. You know, if this is kind of the direction that things are going, like why should guys be committing themselves to perfecting this craft if they're not going to be paid like some of these other offensive weapons that exist out there in the NFL. Um, And I think that that comes like this kind of discourse comes at an interesting time where like you had mentioned, like guys like Debo Samuel exist. So it seems to be that there's like an, um, an emerging trend of like these tweener position guys who are both like wide receivers, but can also play running back at a highly effective level it kind of seems like these are going to be um kind of those swiss army knives that are going to 
be paid those big bucks because they can play either position. And so they don't have to invest in like a Saquon Barkley or an Austin Eckler or a Christian McCaffrey and instead have this guy who can just, you know, affect the game in so many different ways on the field. I mean, I feel like Christian McCaffrey would be just as good of a player if you put him in the slot as you would putting him, you know, uh, behind the quarterback. Like those are the kinds of players that we're talking about. So I just think it's interesting how like not only is the analytics saying like, Hey, like this is kind of a thing now. Now the players are actively talking about this kind of becoming a thing too. Yeah. And when you see Daniel Jones getting paid $40 million, exactly. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like their team is going to hurt over the span of the next five years, a lot more without Daniel Jones than Saquon Barkley. Like if you threw, give them a backfield of like Saquon Barkley and then like Marcus Mariota or Derek Carr or Andy Dalton are back there. Like, I think they have a pretty competent team and would be able to do well because their defense is, you know, really solid. And, you know, when you don't have a great offensive line, uh, like the giants do, you need a great running back like Saquon Barkley that can, uh, make some defenders miss. So kind of shocking, but not shocking in some ways. So, but yep. that's the New York, New York giants. They're a, kind of a dysfunctional <laughs> organization and yeah. you know, the more chaos, the better, uh, you know, exactly. We're, we're two out, we're two hours down the coast and, uh, we, we love the chaos up there. So we just, yeah, that's right. Smile yeah. and smile and, uh, move about our business. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so speaking about kind of, uh, you know, um, having success and moving about our business. Uh, here's a fun little uh, tidbit that we learned today in one of our group chats. So there was a story that was released by uh, Buckeyes Wire on usatoday.com, uh, that being the Ohio State Buckeyes um, dedicated site on USA Today uh, that talks about all things Ohio State football. And they released a story today that talks about the um, relative size of the fan base of different, uh, football programs. Um, and just to, you know, spoiler alert, um, the top three teams in terms of the fan base goes number one, Ohio state, number two, Michigan, and then number three, Penn state. So I wasn't really surprised to see Penn state, um, top five or even top three at, uh, I think, you know, if you would have said that we were number two, like I still wouldn't have been surprised. Um, I think, uh, you know, that story, though, what I thought was kind of interesting is that Duke was like sitting within the top like five or so. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, some of the SEC teams are like sitting at like seven and eight, which I thought was uh, a little interesting as well, because, I mean, Georgia's won two national championships now. So how how has their fan base not grown by leaps and bounds outside of those who, you know, have traditionally set themselves in Georgia, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, what were your thoughts on this, Vince? So part of me isn't super surprised about the the Michigan-Ohio State. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, when you have a, a matchup every year, that's called the game. Like, that's kind of the, the biggest matchup. And I feel like it it's almost the equivalent to a, a Duke-UNC rivalry in college basketball. So because mm-hmm. of that rivalry, you're going to get fans who aren't even geographically really close uh, to either of those teams. So for example, like my family, I have a lot of Duke and UNC fans in my family just because we're into basketball and, you know, that's the biggest game. So you kind of watch that game and then you like one of the two programs. So I do think they have that kind of going for them. I'm absolutely not surprised to see Penn state up super high. 
Uh, I think we have the best fans in the, in the nation and they have the largest alumni base. So, uh, and then in the Northeast region, not another really football powerhouse to compete with. So we can really have a whole Northeast region Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, in terms of football fans. So, you know, not surprised that, you know, those are the two above us, but I think it really goes to show that, you know, that is the power of, you know, the big 10 conference and big 10 football. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, and now that you're going to throw in USC and UCLA, which UCLA was also on that list. USC was not, which I was shocked by. So Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to, I mean, I didn't comb over, uh, this article, like, with a fine tooth comb or anything like that to understand the metrics that they're using and the data and the research and stuff like that. But I, I was shocked to see that UCLA has a larger fan base than USC. As far as it like comes to football, like if you told me basketball, I wouldn't have batted an eye, but yeah, that was still uh kind of surprising, but yeah, yeah. for me, I, I, they must, uh, you know, ask people like, Oh, what football t- college football team do you support? And, they might have went to that university or they're more into basketball. So like, you know, they, they were for UCLA and basketball because of coach Wooden guess, and yeah. all their success. And they just checked that off on the, you know, the survey. So, you know, it's, that'd be like lazy data gathering though. I feel like you, you gotta be a little more scientific. If you're going to say something definitive, like this is how big the fan base is of a football program. Like you gotta have some more, I don't know hard hitting numbers than that. Yeah. Like I don't think Duke is selling more football tickets than right. <laughs> all those sec schools. Like I'm not buying yeah. that. I yeah. think in terms of having, you know, that size of fan base, it must be from the basketball program. Uh, there's yeah. people all over the country that are Duke fans and support Duke basketball. So I think it's kind of because of that where, you know, college basketball is, you know, the second biggest sport and NCAA athletics. So I think you get a lot of supporters there and then they end up rooting for the football team and Duke and UNC has been, you know, okay. They've been ranked at times um, and they're playing in the ACC. So they have a chance to be more competitive in a a less competitive conference. So, you know, they, they haven't been kind of like the cellar dwellers like they have been of the pat, you know, 20 years ago. That is true. Yeah. So I found that very interesting. Another uh, thing that I wanted to segue to is uh, they do have ticket prices out for uh, the matchups for all of Penn State's home games. Uh, In your opinion, or I'll I'll say first question, uh, what do you think is the highest price ticket for this football season? And number two, what do you think it should be? What would you pay the most money for? Got it. Um, that that's tough, and uh, just to you know, kind of set the stage here. I I don't know what the prices are, so that's kind of the game here. I'm like trying to trying to guess uh, what is the most expensive ticket. Um, so I think that the most expensive ticket, uh, regardless of like my feeling on the matter, is West Virginia. I think that there's so many elements to this uh, season opener, night game, old rivalry, uh, new. Ferrari of a quarterback, like revamped Penn State coming off Rose Bowl victory. Like there's so many elements in here that make this a highly desirable ticket. Um, The fact that West Virginia is close in proximity uh, geographically, they're going to have a ton of fans uh, coming up for the game. Um, So that's going to drive prices up as well. Um, And just for the same reasons, they're going to be excited about this game. Like uh, they're, you know, Penn State's an old rival for them. Like um, 
guys who are our dad's ages are you know going to be pumped for this game because they remember Penn State v West Virginia from like the 1980s and stuff like that so I think that there's going to be a lot of excitement on their side obviously they have kind of a, a chip on their shoulder uh being picked to finish last in the Big 12 which we can also get into in a little bit but that's my um that's my guess like that's uh where I think the most expensive ticket currently is for the season so uh am I right Vince Oh, okay. So what do you think it should be? Do you think oh, it should okay, be West so Virginia? Got it. Um, uh, I just want to on both parts to your, to your question yeah. here before I no, reveal the numbers. No problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also think it should be West Virginia um, because I think that the, uh, the bringing back of a, a non-con rival for a night game in these situations, I think really is just going to drive up the prices uh in a lot of different ways. Um, I think there's kind of an air, I don't want to say of like familiarity, but like, you know, the ticket prices for Michigan are going to be kind of what they are. Like they're going to be high, but they're not going to be super high because it's going to be um, like a noontime game and stuff like that. And Iowa with it being the whiteout, um, you know, I think that that's probably also going to be a night game, but it's, it's still like it's Iowa. Like it doesn't have the same juice as West Virginia does, even though, you know, there's like still, some you know some stuff that some beef that we gotta like sort out against iowa like i still think that the factors affecting the west virginia game um will result in higher ticket prices yeah excellent so west virginia is actually third on the list wow uh, okay single price the the secondary market uh this is at from statecollege.com as of july 12th is uh 167 dollars uh, Michigan is just above that at $168. And then the Iowa game is there at $175. So that's the, the big game of okay. the year. So uh, are you shocked that it's Iowa or do you think? I'm a little shocked. Yeah, I would have expected West Virginia to be above the Iowa game. Um, but it wouldn't have shocked me if it was below the Michigan game. So this order does shock me, but yeah, it is what it is. I'm just wrong. Yeah. I was a little surprised by this, but then I thought about, Oh, Iowa is the whiteout. What game does everyone want to be a part of? What is the greatest environment in college football? It is the whiteout. That is the best game every single year. No game is better. So I, I completely understand Iowa uh, being the highest ticket price. I, I'm kind of along the team where I think it should be Michigan since that is their toughest opponent. But, you know, September, the weather's going to be n- nice. The whiteout is always fun. At that point in the season, we still expect Penn State to be undefeated, hopefully. Yep. Um, if they're not undefeated that, at that point, we're probably going to be a pretty miserable podcast. <laughs> we're not going to have quite as much fun uh, recording as we would. Um, but yeah, with Michigan, I think, you know, having it later in the season, it's a noon game, uh, e- even though it is their best opponent. And I think, you know, ha- that has some weight. And, you know, especially if, you know, Penn State can beat Ohio State, then again, that's going to change and those tickets are going to skyrocket up because they're going to, yep. at that point, you're thinking uh, Big Ten East champions. Yep. So College I, football you know, that playoff, change things implications. a lot. Yep, yep. Abs- absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> you know, depending on how the Ohio State game and, you know, the, 
the precedent to that goes, then that's going to determine the outcome of those tickets. But again, I, I think Iowa is going to be a, a good, a good game. It's the, it's the whiteout. It's a night game. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have that revenge factor there of them booing our players. So to be just to really give them, I don't want to say like a taste of their own medicine, but like just, just some good old fashioned payback and a butt whooping. Oh, I think that's yeah. going to be very similar to, to the minute. It's going to be really similar to the Minnesota game last year. Like they're going to not know what to do and not know. Like I just, I really expect that to be, a blowout of a game. I don't think our, I wouldn't be surprised if our defense doesn't give up a touchdown in that game. Like that is, need, that is how, je- I need, how confident yeah. I am. No, I agree. I need chop Robinson to just like declete Kate McNamara in the worst way. Just lay that dude out. <laughs> um, I just, yeah, I agree. I think that, uh, I mean, obviously we'll have everything and more to talk about that matchup, uh, when it comes around, but this is, I think, the one that a lot of people may have circled in like the boldest Sharpie, like for those reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, circling back here to to West Virginia, which you think should be the most expensive game. Uh, yeah, the Big 12 uh, doesn't seem to think that. So I, I saw a poll the other day and there was, was a the consensus. Media, right? It was a, a media poll and the consensus was that West Virginia, they predicted would finish last in the big 12. And this is with additions of, you know, four new teams. So they now have uh, Cincinnati, UCF, um, BYU, Houston. And yeah, Houston, I believe is, is the fourth team. So out of all those programs, even being added, uh, yeah, they have West Virginia finishing last. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, are there teams in the Big Twelve where you're, you you want to kind of pound the table and say no? These teams are definitely worse. Uh, what are your thoughts on that in the ranking? Well, you know, my my initial thought to hearing that is, you know, this team has nothing really to lose now like this is uh this is you know it kind of just adds into kind of the trap game scenario for penn state like you know this is a team that they're going to be unranked penn state's probably going to be ranked like top five top seven it's at home and night game and stuff like that like this should be a team that penn state should beat by 20 but this is a team that you know according to their coach is is mad that they got picked uh, to finish last in the big 12 by the media. Um, So I think they're going to have a chip on their shoulders. They're going to have kind of that, you know, like screw it mentality. Like let's go out there and shock the world as many times as we can. Um, I have actually seen a couple of people on the uh, Twitter sphere um, in West Virginia's corner kind of saying that, you know, like a lot of people think that Penn state's going to win, but wouldn't really shock us if West Virginia won, which I mean, that's what, every fan base of every opposing team (laughs) says about every game in existence. So I don't really put too much water into that, but you know, it's like, I just say that to say like the fans haven't like given up hope. Like this is still a game that they're very excited about. And I think the, the players are going to be very excited about this too, because of the implications and the fact that like, you know, in the big 12, like there's not a ton of like premier teams right now. Like 
your biggest premier team is probably TCU and they like black magic to their way into the national championship game <laughs> last year. Like outside of that, you've got Kansas state. Um, and I mean, obviously you've Big got 12 champions. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But it's like Kansas, Kansas state does not like carry the same water as Penn state right now. Like that, that's yeah. all I'm saying. Like they're like, they did a tremendous job, um, shutting TCU down the way that they did. But like in terms of like preseason rankings and expectations and stuff like that, like Penn state is still a step above at least in my opinion. So, um, you know, and obviously they still have, uh, they, they still have Oklahoma and Texas, uh, for now this yeah. year, but it's like, they're not going to get this many, that many cracks at like a top 10 opponent to just be kind of that turning page moment for their program. And this is one of them. So I think that, um, you know, this is, like something that Franklin and the crew just kind of need to continue pounding the pavement and say, like, listen, like we cannot take these guys lightly. We've got to come to this with the right amount of preparation, like all this stuff that we've seen in like years past, which I mean, I think that we're going to avoid truthfully speaking of like slow starts and like the first game and stuff like that. Like we can't have this here. Um, so that's my initial thoughts, which was kind of a long-winded winding path. But, you know, I don't really know enough about the Big 12 as a conference overall, like right now to say definitively that uh, like other teams should have been voted lower than them. Um, when we get closer to uh, West Virginia and especially like when we do our preview pod for that, I want to look at things like, you know, like which coaches they replace, like who did they lose in the transfer portal? Who did they add? Like what production did they lose like to the NFL and stuff like that? Like, so I think there's so many factors and so many unknowns involved here that like, I'm just like such an uneducated voice in this that, you know, I'm just going to kind of say like, well, I mean, the media says their thing and they're either going to be right or they're going to be wrong. And so we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll see at the, uh, at the tail end of, uh, August and early September. Yeah, and week one games are, are always really scary. Uh, you don't have film on the team. You're kind of relying on film from the previous year. So that's always difficult. Uh, everyone has juice. Everybody has energy for that first game, especially a night game in Beaver Stadium. So they're going to come here with some juice. Uh, I expect that 100%. Uh, I think they're also kind of in that almost Maryland mentality where they're going to be really tough in the beginning of the season. And, you know, bad teams don't know they're bad yet. So uh, Maryland was upsetting teams like Texas. They're, they've been known to do that really early in the season. And then October comes around and they start to kind of fizzle out and become mediocre. So, uh, you know, I think Purdue is the perfect example of that. Do I think we are in a, you know, 38 to 35 game with Purdue if it's in November? Probably not. Like Penn State really started to grow. They, they established an identity. They figured out what they wanted to do and, you know, they, they grew a lot throughout the season. And, uh, you know, Purdue is obviously a, you know, a very good team being, you know, big 10 West champions, but you know, at eight right. and four, um, you know, I'd have to take, I'd have to say if that matchup was played in November, uh, the outcome, I, I think you, you'd see a Penn state win with a, a larger differential. So, uh, you know, week one games always scary, but you know, thankfully this one's not on the road and on a Thursday, this one's in Beaver stadium. So, you know, that defense is going to, uh, you know, be dealing with a pretty good West Virginia offense. Uh, you know, defense isn't super great, uh, on West Virginia for the Mountaineers, but I do expect, 
our defense to get a lot of help to deal with uh, the weapons that West Virginia has on the offensive side of the ball. What do you think of their offense, though? Because didn't they lose their starting quarterback? So they're bringing on a new quarterback this season, or am I wrong? I'm not. Uh, I don't know the exact roster uh, kind of turnover, and that's something I'm going to have to look into as well. Right. Uh, but just in terms of you know year to year, and yeah. Yeah. In terms of tradition, they typically have a, a good offense and I, I'd expect nothing less uh, in, a, in a whiteout environment. And with the, the defense that we have, I think, you know, things will go really well. But yep. again, you, you never know. Uh, I never thought we would lose to Illinois nine overtimes at home, but we did. So, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you know, it's crazy stuff can and does happen. Yeah. No one thought App State would beat Michigan on a blocked field goal. It happened. So, yep. you know, we have to be ready. And, you know, I think I think coach is going to do a good job. And mm-hmm. he's the he's now uh, the second longest tenured coach in the Big Ten, actually, uh, you know, with the, the firing of Pat Fitzgerald, uh, you know, behind only Kirk Ferentz. So, you know, Co- coach Franklin's been around the block. He's uh, been coaching pet Big Ten football for a long time. And, you know, he's become more familiar with these programs. So. Uh, you know, the more you do the job, the better you get at it. And, you know, I think he's going to, you know, have the troops ready for a a week one battle. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so, uh, the last thing that I got here about football for you, um, it's another, uh, chat GPT little questionnaire thing, uh, just continuing from our last episode. So last pod, I asked you who, uh, chat GPT thought is the greatest linebacker in all of Penn state history uh, with it selecting Jack ham um, continuing, you know, the trend of like various position groups. It thinks that Kerry Collins is the, uh, is the greatest uh, quarterback. It thinks that Larry Johnson jr. Is the greatest running back. And it thinks that Jack ham is the greatest linebacker. And so we're staying on the defensive side of the ball this time around um, and per your request, Vince, I asked ChatGPT who it thinks is the greatest defensive end in Penn State football program history. So I'm going to give you the same two familiar questions of who do you think is the greatest uh, defensive end and who do you think a computer, i.e. ChatGPT, would select as the greatest defensive end? Yeah, so a lot of good names up there. Uh, you have Bruce Clark. Uh, who got drafted number four by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, you have, of course, Tom Bahali. Uh, we talked about him a little bit in linebacker, but you know, he's kind of that edge category. So, you know, yep. he did a great job. He he piled up eleven sacks, 17 tackles for loss, defensive lineman of the year award. He was MVP of the uh, 2006 senior bowl. You've done your having homework before, yeah. So I was I wanted to be prepared for this. All right. So, so he, he was, if you had to go more recently, I, I think it would have to be, uh, Tom Bahali, uh, Dave Robinson's, you know, up there, he was a starter in 55 games. Uh, Michael Haynes got 15 sacks in 2002. You had uh, Mike Hartstein with 104 tackles as a junior and 108 more, you know, the following year. And he was the 31st overall selection in the 1975 NFL draft and went on to, a. Uh, 12 year pro career. So a lot of good defensive ends coming out of Penn state, but there is absolutely no way that chat GBT does not pick Courtney Brown. And 
Uh, he was the number one overall draft pick. He was a three-time all-conference selection. He's the school's career leader in sacks with 33 that Danny Des- Dennis Sutton is you know gunning for. And he has a career uh, tackles for loss of 70. Uh, so Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, first overall pick in the 2000 draft. I have to go with Courtney Brown uh, with Tamba Ali. Holly has a close second. Well done, my man. Yeah, you nailed it right on the head. So uh, ChatGPT did select Courtney Brown as the greatest defensive end in program history uh, with this description. Courtney Brown was a dominant force on the defensive line and received numerous accolades during his college career. In 1999, he won the Chuck Benerick Award and the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year Award. He was also a unanimous All-American selection that year. Brown was later drafted as the first overall pick in the 2000 NFL draft by the Cleveland Browns. Um, and in, you know, kind of the ending uh, series of this explanation, it did mention that there were other notable Penn State defensive ends uh, that were in consideration, including Tom Bahali, Michael Haynes and Carl Nassib, among others. Nassib was a good one, too. I, I miss him. He had a nice career with the, the Browns, I think. Browns and maybe Raiders. He, yeah, so he, I don't know who he's with right now, but he was uh, recently with the Raiders. But yeah, at uh, he's most known at Penn State for setting the single season sack record at 15 and a half. He broke Michael Haynes' record, which had stood for, um, I believe, a couple decades at that point at 15. So Carl Nassib kind of exploded onto the scene. Um, well, I remember it was really fun because he just kind of came out of nowhere. He was kind of like yep. this kind of lanky guy who had a long wingspan and they thought he'd be good. But then I guess, you know, all that, you know, kind of, you know, strength and conditioning program really, he started to fill out and then had a really dominant season that last year and uh, really fun to watch. Got, got to be a nice draft pick and, and then absolutely a, a career out of something he loves to do. So uh, man, yeah. So really uh, he's, he's definitely one of those really, fun stories, uh, sports stories in, in college football. So yeah, definitely a big, uh, uh, Carl Nassib fan. Yeah. Same here, but yeah, well done, man. You, uh, nailed it right on the head. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed by the level of research and detail that you went into, uh, this whole thing with this was, uh, this was good. So I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the choice again. So we'll, we'll do another position group next week. Uh, where do you want to go? Uh, let's go interior defensive line. We'll go defensive tackle. Okay. Sounds good. Then we will uh, cover that next week. Excellent. So uh, moving on to other other news in Penn State Athletics. So uh, saw some an article you know, that said that Michael Shrewsbury agent was trying to negotiate an extension in January before Notre Dame was reaching out to him at that point in the season. So based off of where Penn State basketball was in January and the state of the program, uh, how much of a mistake do you think that was on the part of, you know, the sport, the administration not extending Michael Shrewsbury in January? Now, keep in mind, uh, this is before we went on that run to, you know, put ourselves in position to be an NCAA tournament team and make a deep run into the big time playoff. Yep. Big yeah, time championship uh, game. Yeah. 
And I think that's that's important context here. Um, and of course, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty in all situations, but especially ones like this. Um, that being said, I think that this is still a big egg on their face moment uh, for the Penn State Athletic Administration. Um, if these reports are true, because like this just kind of further highlights kind of the you know, behind the times element that Penn State athletics has kind of lived in for, you know, a while now, especially as we're kind of entering the modern era of name, image, and likeness. Like there were so many stories and reports and news and updates out there that Penn State was really um, kind of lagging behind in a lot of these different areas. And there was some aversion to kind of taking these steps and like implementing these things to put Penn state in a competitive, uh, position, like in, in the college, in the college football and college athletics overall landscape, um, and stuff like that. So this is really just kind of another like feather in that cap, if you will. Yeah. So I guess I would say that generally my position is that most programs in Penn state situation in recent history would have extended him at that point in time. And I think that it was Penn state's, um, you know, recent, uh, aversion to change and adapting to the new college athletics landscape um, that prevented these things from happening. I mean, Penn State, it's an old athletic program. Like it's an old administration that are running things. You know, we've heard about it countless times now because of what's been happening like with NIL and football and stuff like that. Like this is a this is an administration that does not make changes quickly. And in this case, it just seemed like they weren't making the changes quickly enough. So I, I think that, you know, this is like just, you know, another thing that Penn state should kind of look back on and say, this is something that we can't have happen again. And in a way, just kind of like apply a little bit of silver lining to this. I think that this whole series of events is going to kind of be the catalyst to make sure that this doesn't happen again, because all they have to do is look back at the recent history within the last two years. If like a situation like this comes around again and be like, yeah, we can't have this happen again. So everybody get your ducks in a row. So, so we can make sure we keep our guys. But what are your thoughts, Vince? Yeah, I think they really dropped the ball in this one. Uh, Even in the first year when they only had 14 wins, I was really impressed with the program just because they were competitive in most of their games. They, they suffered a lot of close losses, but for Penn state basketball to be competitive after, you know, the Pat chambers drama and, you know, Jim Ferry being the interim coach and then some players wanting him, Michael Shrewsbury did not come into a great situation. Uh, like he is in Notre Dame, uh, you know, the head coach retired and, you know, he's the new guy and, you know, kind of the, you know, the new kind of young coach who's, you know, doing an awesome job and a lot of hype around him. So, you know, his, his situation in going into Notre Dame is a lot better than when he came here. So the fact that he produced a competitive team in year one, and then year two showed clear and obvious steps to getting better. Uh, that's something that I look for. And it takes really five years for your program to, be elite. It takes about four to five years on average, uh, for a coach and, you know, to recruit and, you know, build that culture. It, it takes time. And the fact that, you know, maybe the, the big 10 
games weren't going quite as well. And they, they also had a couple, you know, tough losses to Clemson and Virginia tech. But again, these are, are close losses that you're seeing that the talent is there. And coach Ruse has, you know, been able to get them off to one of the best start in years. I believe they started 10 and zero to start the season. Like that's exciting. And the yep. fact that they got there and, you know, they're being competitive in these games and, you know, they bounce back after the Michigan loss. They beat Illinois, a really good program. They beat Indiana at home. Like they beat some quality teams. And, and this was by January, January too, right? When, yeah, they so they had a lot of marquee wins here. And they beat Furman, who ended up being an NCAA tournament team uh, in that uh, tournament they did in South Carolina. Like they, they did some pretty big things early on in the season. And yeah, they had a couple heartbreaking losses, but for Penn state, who's not known with the deep tradition, like, you know, the wrestling or the football program, the fact that he's doing this kind of stuff in year two and putting out high quality, a high quality product in January. And especially since you knew the fact that, Notre Dame was going to be looking for a new guy. Like this wasn't like, Oh, all of a sudden the, uh, James Bray retires. Like they knew this was coming in like November. He said this was right. going to be his last year of coaching. And mm-hmm. you know, coach Ruse is an Indiana guy. And this was like the one position that scared me, uh, as a fan, uh, going into the season. I was like, Oh, I think coach Ruse might take that job because it's in Indiana. Like I wasn't really worried about Georgetown or Providence, you know, I, I think Penn State's still a better uh, job than either of those two coaching positions. But the fact that you knew this was coming, you knew Notre Dame was going to be looking for a new guy. And the fact that they didn't take care of this in January when his agent was trying to get something together. And uh, pretty much in the article, you know, his wife was saying they they pretty much waited for the hot streak. And then he kind of got the, the new offer. They were working on that behind the scenes and once they made the NCAA tournament, I think that they gave, you know, coach Shrews the offer on March 14th, like the day before their game. And he didn't feel comfortable signing it because, you know, he's like, I don't want that to distract away from the team and, and what we're trying to do in the tournament here and, you know, make a deep run. So I completely understand that. And, you know, coach Shrews goes in the article saying he always operates as if he's broke. And I went on a, on a flight with him, on an, on an Allegiant flight, which is not a fancy, fancy flight. So, you know, he definitely yeah. uh, is very fiscally responsible and, uh, you know, really smart with his money. So, he, you know, he's he knows what he's doing. Uh, and, yeah, and it, they didn't start talking to him even till kind of after February. But the thing is, if he signs that contract extension, he's here. And we're yep. not having this whole kind of crazy, you know, John Hara making phone calls to alumni to try to get more NIL money. We're not having, having, having this going on. And when you have a program as big as Penn state and an administrative team as big as Penn state in the athletic department, I don't, I don't know how this doesn't get done. Like that just almost shows the lack of professionalism when you're calling John Hara which he does not have to help the team and be making phone calls and asking for NIL money. Like it's right. great that he's willing to do that. And it, I think it shows yep. the great culture we have here at Penn state, 
you know, between, you know, players and, and students and alumni. And, you know, it's definitely a great environment, but you should be going to John Hera making phone calls to just kind of scrap something up together. So I think, you know, uh, you know, it, it really showed the lack of professionalism, but I, I do think they've learned from it now. So mm-hmm. I don't foresee this happening again in the near future on, in the coach Rhodes era. They got him, you know, in a big contract. It's, it's long-term. The buyouts are, you know, very tough. He comes from a winning program. So I do think they, they found a good candidate, but is he going to be as good as Micah Shrewsbury? That's the question because yep. that is always going to be the measuring stick under his tenure. Can he be yep. as good as Micah Shrewsbury? And again, I'm going to say the answer is more likely no than yes, just because Coach Shrewsbury did such an amazing job with his program. But, you know, time will tell. And, you know, hopefully Coach Shrews does a good job. I think that the philosophy is going to look very different. Uh, he likes to run more of that press and do a little, some different things defensively. Uh, I think he's, you're going to see the team crashing the boards a little bit more uh, where due to the lack of size coach Shrews after they shot, he would have kind of have most of his guys going back to defense so that they weren't giving up any transition points. So I think it's going to look different. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I still am in shock that uh, when an average guy can say, Hey, Notre Dame is going to be a threat. Me, who's just a casual observer, uh, you know, I guess I'm observing more like all the games now that we're doing this podcast. But the fact that an average guy is like, okay, this is going to be a threat. So yeah. you, you take care of, ter- care of it before it becomes a problem. Yeah. You got to foresee it's like, problems coming. Right. And I think that that's just another like element of this whole, you know, Penn State was kind of stuck in their old traditional ways uh, sort of thing. Because you know, we know just from being in the zeitgeist of college athletics and especially like with college football coaches, like moving everywhere during the off season and now like college basketball coaches. Um, I mean, not that this is like anything new, but coaches move like that's that's not a new concept. Like that's just kind of been a thing in modern college athletics. And so to not have the foresight to just kind of be like, you know, these are some programs who might be interested in our guy if he if we start doing well in these areas and that concept also should not have been new to Penn State as an administration because that this is exactly the same story every year of James Franklin is likely going to be the next coach at USC like we had heard that story like for 3 years straight you know and and so this just should not have been something that caught uh, Pat Kraft and the rest of the administration, like so blindsided. Um, I will likely never know kind of the full depth of like who's to blame and stuff like that. So it, you know, it's just kind of like one of those things where you just gotta kind of be like, yeah, that's a huge bummer, but you know, we, we move on. Yeah. And to me, it it almost seems like they weren't paying attention. So when that, right when the agents reaching out to you in January, like at that point I've seen enough. Like I know Michael Shrewsbury is a winner. Read uh, the room too. Great it's ambassador like if for the program. Yeah. If the agent is reaching out to you, something's in the water. Yeah. And obviously that's the agent's job to get, you know, their client the most amount of money. But 
the fact that if you couldn't tell at that point, it, it just goes to show that you weren't paying attention. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of pressure and, you know, our season might've turned out differently. They might've not made the NCAA tournament, but even if they didn't, they still probably would have got to 20 wins, which is big improvement from the previous season. Massive. So I, I think it just, yeah, massive improvement. And that's all you're looking for at, at Penn state. They don't need to be like North Carolina and Duke in year two. Like that's yeah. going to take time. And you know, I think, I think, you know, coach Roos could have done that, uh, you know, yep. over a longer period of time, but mm-hmm. uh, really a bummer that they couldn't see it. And yeah, average people like us can, can see it. So, yeah, <laughs> I know. So yeah. That's uh, the funny part about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously they have more knowledge of the kind of the day to day, but I, I maybe, yeah, it's, maybe it's, it's like one of those things that's going to forever baffle me. Right? Maybe it's like a situation where they were just like so heads down in like the minutia of the administration and just running the department that they kind of like lost sight of like the macro view, which is like what we have access to and what we talk about and stuff like that. Yeah, and. That's what they, a, a, a philosophy or a cliche that uh, I like to use is sometimes the wrong decision is better than no decision. So I feel like they kind of got caught in a, you know, paralysis by an, by analysis type mm-hmm. of thing. Being like, oh, should we do this? Uh, what if it doesn't work out? And, you know, it really kind of came around and bite them in the butt. So, yep. um, you know, Life is about, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali said those who uh, don't take, don't have the courage to take risk in life will never become successful. Uh, you know, I think that kind of, you know, applies here. You do need to take some risk and you can't wait till, you know, you have a competitor coming in. You you got to, you know, get your house in order, take care of it before it becomes a, pro- uh, becomes a problem. And I think that's what your best leaders are able to do. They're able to see problems that come up before they happen. So, uh, and I think that goes, you know, for anything, not just sports. So, um, yeah, really a big bummer, but you know, I think we can, uh, move on to, uh, some other better news. Uh, uh, Roman Bravo young, we know from Penn state wrestling is now going to be representing, uh, Penn state in the Olympics for, or not, not Penn state. He's gonna be representing Mexico (laughs) in the Olympics there we go penn state is its own country now and will now be in the Olympics. Right. you heard it you heard it here first on the nitty blues yeah, podcast that, but that, that's can yeah, really exciting for him and <laughs> really exciting for him and i think he's going to do some big things and like he just looked unstoppable at the ncaa level so i think it'll be almost interesting to see a, a higher level of competition and, and how he's able to handle that yep yeah i mean uh penn state has now a pretty good streak of putting guys into um, good positions going into the next level of wrestling. I mean, all you have to do is look at all the guys who are in the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club. I mean, David Taylor being the prime example, uh, Olympic gold medalist, world champion, um, all of those different accolades. Um, And I mean, you have like uh, Jason Nolf and uh, Zane Rutherford. I mean, there's like just such a long laundry list of names. And I think that Roman Bravo young is uh, well situated um, to, you know, kind of continue that strong tradition. 
um, it'll be interesting to see uh, like kind of how he stacks up against um, our guys at the same weight class. Because I mean, with the way things are now, like with the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club, there's like a half decent chance that he's going to be wrestling against another guy who who comes from Penn State. So uh, I think it's just adds a little bit of intrigue uh, to the whole situation. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited and uh, even following you know, other Penn state athletes. Cause I know you're going to have more of them in the Olympics. So it's going to be yep, really exciting to see uh, how they do representing team USA. So it's kind of one of those things where it's almost crazy that the Olympics is only one year away because, you know, we had the whole COVID year and it got postponed a year. So it does feel like this Olympics is co- coming up uh, in quite a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. So here's a fun little uh, hypothetical scenario to for you. Um, what current athlete or maybe just like athlete from the past like five years who did not play an Olympic sport at Penn State do you think would have the best chance at meddling in a, in a specific event? And what event would that be? That's a good question. So, so am I allowed to like pick a track athlete, for example? No. So any athlete who would medal. Oh, so, uh, oh, so it has to be someone. A in, non-Olympic sport. Yeah. So like, think like football. Okay. Football. Like, pretty, you're pretty much I mean, football because just about all the other yeah, sports are in the Olympics. Are, at that point. Yeah, I guess that is true. Yeah, that is true. Is lacrosse so, in the Olympics? Lacrosse is not. Okay. Um, but mo- most of the rest are. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is tough. Um, yeah. I've got, I've got one for you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Troy Apke had a really good 40. So maybe he would okay. be do well in the sprints. Gotcha. Uh, I think that would probably be your best, best pathway. I, I would okay. say it, it is. So, and you can also extend this past track and field too. So it could be yeah. any sport in the Olympics. Yeah. Who, who knows? Maybe like Saquon Barkley is really good at table tennis. Maybe, maybe <laughs> on that. nice. You want to, you want to know what, uh, my guess is it would be, um, Micah Parsons in rugby. Oh, he'd be a great rugby player. He, I think that's a good like, one. Has, yeah. He has the, the background of also being a running back in addition to being just a wrecking ball of a defensive end in high school. Um, and, you know, so he's, he's used to carrying the rock. He knows like what he's doing there. And obviously he's just like a, you know, a Hulk of a human being. So that's, that's my vote. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Uh, yeah. So I think that's a really good, yeah. Rugby's really fun to watch, especially with the rugby sevens. Like the games are relatively short, but like it's really fast paced. They're always moving. And I really enjoy watching the rugby sevens. So that's definitely one of the sports I'll be looking forward to. Awesome. Uh, so what other, uh, news bites do you have? I got something here for, uh, going back to basketball here real quickly. And I want to know, cause you're more knowledgeable about basketball than I am, uh, with specific like terminology and deals and whatnot. But Andrew Funk is, uh, going to be extending his stay with the Denver Nuggets. Um, uh, he had some, uh, a pretty good showing recently, um, in his latest, uh, summer league, minutes um including a couple of highlights that were really cool with uh, Jalen Pickett throwing him the ball and him knocking down some of those NBA uh depth threes so that was really neat um and he signed an exhibit 10 contract with the Denver Nuggets so can you help me understand like what that means 
Yeah, so I actually did need to do some research for this okay. as well. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm not that advanced uh, in terms of you know the basketball contracts in the NBA, but Got pretty much what an Exhibit Ten contract uh, is. It's a one year contract, and it's pretty much like minimum wage for the the NBA. So that, that's the lowest amount that they can pay you. Now okay. I'm sure it's probably like a hundred thousand dollars or something. But the fact that he was able to make the roster from uh, where he was made me really pumped because the first two games, I think he was like 0-4 from three. He just didn't get that many minutes, didn't knock down his shots, and that's part of being a three-point shooter. And then there was a game where he didn't get any minutes and he didn't see the floor. Uh, but then that one game where he got a lot of minutes, he really shined, and I think he knocked down about 40, over, over 40 percent of his threes if my memory serves me correctly so the fact that he had such a good showing and i think he had 14 points that game uh really exciting he really got to display his talents and could show the nba what he could do now we know that knew that all along we knew he could do that at that level but it's another thing to you know prove it to nba executives who are have to make tough decisions so the fact that he was able to earn that spot uh, really exciting for him. A lot he'll get to play with his teammate Jalen Pickett. They're gonna have good game yeah. chemistry. Pick has been awesome uh this preseason. I think he's averaged like over 12 points per game, over five rebounds, five assists. That's wild. <laughs> uh I think he's had a- averaged over a block and a steal per game as well, which they're pretty difficult to get when you're going against NBA guys. And I think his turnovers have been around like only one per game. So he's doing a really great job at the the point guard position. When you're having a five to one assisted turnover ratio, that's really good. So yeah, Pick's doing an awesome job. Uh, Lundy is doing really well. Uh, he's been knocking down over forty percent percent of his his threes as well. I think he's around forty one percent last time I checked. And anything over forty is really really good for an NBA player. Uh, once you hit that forty percent mark, that shows that you're you're pretty much a legit shooter to be reckoned with. So you know, really, really awesome to see good things going on for the Nittany Lions. Uh, unfortunately, Lamar Stevens did get waived from the San Antonio Spurs. So oh, wow, uh, not, not all rainbows and unicorns, but you know, Lamar Stevens is a really good player and I expect him to find a home uh, somewhere in the NBA. Right. Yeah, that, that's a bummer. I mean, he was having a pretty good run with the Cavs, too. I mean, he mm-hmm. seemed to be um, kind of gaining a nice following there. Um, fans really seemed to gravitate him, which, I mean, we knew that they would. Uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, though, I mean, just happy for the, you know, our newest crop of Nittany Lions to go out there. I mean, especially Jalen Pickett, man. I mean, just, just, just an absolute legend coming in, booty ball, All-American, like just doing his thing. <laughs> Yeah, that was awesome. And, you know, another program I could see coming up on the rise is, uh, you know, Penn State baseball with the new coaching hire. They got uh, Adam Sasir from Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest is a real powerhouse program in terms of, you know, NCAA baseball. I think they they were ranked. I, I believe if my memory serves me correctly, they were ranked in the top four. And I think they were like a one seed. Uh, they yeah. they got a, ended up getting upset in in the college world series, but the fact that you know we're getting a player from that type of program, I think is is really exciting and worth mentioning. Yeah, one hundred percent. 
um, Pat Kraft uh, seems to have made the right call here with the new coach, uh, with the old coach going into retirement. Um, we speculated last pod about uh, a pre-existing relationship that Kraft might have had with Gambino, um, with them both previously being at Boston College. But yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, you know, Wake Forest and baseball programs of that caliber like they don't miss on players like this guy is almost guaranteed to be good so um i think that's exciting um obviously he has lofty goals for penn state baseball um and i think that's just what you want to see out of your coaches at any program you know regardless of sport you just want to have guys and gals out there who um just want to play at the highest level who want to compete for championships whether it's at the conference or the national level and that's what we're getting here yeah, and that's exciting. I love everything he said and how he said it. Uh, you know, Penn State baseball, they they were kind of good, not great. Like, I think they won over half their games. So, you know, kind of a little above average. So the fact that we're getting a guy in here with that kind of mentality uh, who is, you know, showing, hey, we're getting the World Series. Uh, anything not in the College World Series is a failure. Like, that's what we're gunning for. And really trying to attract that kind of talent, uh, I think speaks volumes. And I, I think he's going to, you know, have a nice tenure here in uh, happy Valley. Yep. Agreed. So uh, you got anything else on your plate, Vince, or should we call this a pod? Uh, yeah, I think we're, we're good to wrap it up. Uh, one, one last thing I found interesting, uh, Hunter Dickinson. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> former Michigan Wolverine. This will be a fun, fun little, uh little jaunt poke, poke at michigan before we 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 head out but he said uh says unquote i feel like michigan is like a fake midwest kansas is actually like a midwest town and he went on to say that the fans were nicer and this is like before the college basketball season has even started yeah and you know he hasn't like had a bad game in a Kansas uniform. You know, like they haven't seen him play. So <laughs> yeah, he doesn't know how they're going to react to him. And what, what are your thoughts on these comments made uh, before the season has even started? I think it's hilarious that he's just gone completely <laughs> scorched earth with these comments about Michigan, like having been like so successful at that program to the point like where I mean, he he undoubtedly had like so many people like not only reaching out to him on like Twitter and social media, but coming up to him in person and being like, hey, like you should stay. We love you and stuff like that. And I mean, he must have just gotten so much backlash from making this move to Kansas to the point where he's just like, screw it. Like, I'm just I'm not holding it in anymore. Like you've earned all of this, uh, you know, all this like scathing that I'm about to give you. Uh, and stuff like that. So I just, I just think that's hilarious. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's like you said, I mean, this is before college basketball has even happened yet. So, so this is, I mean, like people in Kansas must really be nice if, you know, they're like treating him <laughs> like royalty already, I guess. Yeah. And that's the thing, like Hunter Dickinson, like, I don't think like anyone in the Michigan fan base like disliked him until after he right. left. Like, yeah. I feel like he was universally loved and a great player, yeah. had a lot of success and just kind of left for more money, which is kind of understandable. And this NIL right now it is. Yeah. We live in. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you know, it's again, kind of like Penn state losing players with 
NIL and coaches like it's it's part of it. You know, college sports is becoming more and more a business, especially for, for, for football and men's basketball. So it's that is what it is. And I'm sure the people in Kansas are also nice. And when you go there for basketball, you're treated like royalty. I'd expect nothing less uh, from the Jayhawk fans. But <laughs> and Michigan, you know, they're I, they're more of a, you know, more of a football and hockey school. But, you know, the fact that he's just saying this stuff in the offseason is just kind yeah. of hysterical to me. And and now, like, I don't know. Now he has to be like, like, if he can't say anything mean now to, like, Kansas fans. Like, if they're giving him a hard time about something and then he's like, oh, now our, our, fan, our fans aren't that great. Like, he got like, he's like, our fans aren't trusting us or whatever. Like, he's kind of just kind of went out there on a limb. Before well, the not season, only has he, he like not only has he locked himself into that position, now he can't walk back his comments about Michigan. Like he can't say like a good thing about them now. Like because then it would just seem disingenuous. Like he has to maintain this. Like no, Michigan, Ann Arbor, and all their fans suck. Like he has to <laughs> stay on this path now, which just makes it even funnier. Yeah, it is great, but uh, yeah, Hunter Dickinson. We're not going to argue with you. We also are not huge fans of the, the Michigan <laughs> fan base here at that's, the Many right. Blues yeah. podcast. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, so yeah. I think we can uh, we can wrap it up here. Um, I'll let you uh, uh, put a bow on things here in a second, Vince. I just want to uh, continue to say, you know, thank you all for the continued love and support. Um, you can continue to support the show by checking out our merch at shop.nittanyblues.com. Uh, feel free to reach out to us with your comments, feedback, and predictions for the upcoming football season. We want to incorporate other fans' uh, community predictions uh, for these game previews and reactions and stuff like that, so we want to get you all involved. Reach out to us by going to nittanyblues.com or by emailing nittanybluespod at gmail.com. So please get in contact with us. Uh, we'd really like to get, get you all involved. But Vince, I will let you take it on home. Yeah, if you'd like to support the pod, please tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review so that other Nittany Lion fans like you can find us. Interested in new episodes? You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or other streaming platforms to be notified. Thank you for listening, and we want to remind you that we are the Nittany Blues Podcast. See you next time. (laughs) 